welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Jack Hudson again filling in for Andrew Montessi and as always joined by AFL champion Warren Treadray. Treaders, how are you? How are you Jack? Um... Brownlow Fast or Brownlow Beautiful? Which one was it? It was. I must admit, it was the first time in a long time I actually sat down and watched the count. Yes, it did work in sitting in the lounge room with my son cracking it when Zach Butters didn't get votes when he had 28 and 5 and all the other bits and pieces that he had. And it did venture to watching it on an iPad in my room before I fell asleep to a to the Brownlow coverage. But... Lockie Neal, worthy winner, but geez, there were some absolute spanners thrown into the works, weren't there? It was one of the more bizarre counts that I've ever seen. Yeah, Lockie Neal yeah, winning it um, and pipping Marcus Bontempelli, who, again, is the bridesmaid in the Brownlow, which is unfortunate for him, but there were some real interesting vote choices. Errol, Errol Golden in the uh, final round uh, had 42, 42 and 2. 42 yeah. and 2. In a losing and, team and got a vote. Only one vote. That, well, and... Jason Horn francis the Port Adelaide player, clearly is eye-catching. And then even people tried to say, well, maybe it was Bergman. The umpires got mixed up and Bergman didn't have any, uh, didn't have, really have a huge influence in that game either. But he got three votes in the round 14 uh, match with 13 disposals. So um, <laughs> no one could say he didn't have a very good year, but sometimes the, the umpires have a clangor. Um, and my understanding is over the journey, they've always had access to stats anyway. So I, I know that um, some media, I think John Ralph was saying, it's now it's time to give them the statistics. But um, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen situations where they went inside the, the umpires doing the votes after a game and filming it on Brownlow coverage many years ago. But as you say, Eric Golding, was, um, he's been a star for the Swannies. But you look at where things are at. You know, Connor Rosie, Zach Butters and Horn Francis all took votes off each other. Lockie Neal, absolutely worthy winner. You know, he gets bucket loads of the footy, but even he had some games where he had 24 touches, um, didn't get any coaches' votes, and but he got three. But that's what happens. You know, the umpires, their first job first and foremost, which I think they've struggled at anyway, is to do their job properly and umpire the match. So we can't expect them. And this is where everyone gets drawn up. The, the Brownlow is a celebrity, don't get me wrong. It is a celebrity night, but it is a midfielder's award. The last forward to win it by memory, I reckon, was Plugger in 87. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he drew with Johnny Platten at the time, I think, by memory. Correct. Um, so that says, yeah, the, the last hybrid or different type of player was Adam Woods, I think, in 2005, where he sort of played as a ruckman, a running ruckman. Yep. Um, Jimmy Steins and Scotty Wine before that in 91 and 92 were the, the last ruckman I can think of. Um, and reality is it is a midfield award. And the umpires, whose sole job is to umpire the game, then get handed a slip and say, hey, who are your best players? Uh, who was it? I'm telling you, I commentate footy every week for 5AA. Sometimes it's hard enough in some games to pick best players when you want a 3-2-1. Um, but the reality is there were some some curveballs. I do feel sorry for um, Nick Dacos. You know, when you get a collision injury and effectively can't play the last three games of the season and he just got swamped at the end, finishing third, Zach Butters finishing fourth, I can't remember a year, and I must admit I do tune out come Brownlow time because it, it just goes for far too long, the broadcast for mine. Mm. Um, why are there so many ads, Dad? Well, because 
they will know that a lot of people are watching. That's how it works. It's, it's the chance for Channel 7 and uh, to recoup some of the huge cash that they put into footy via their broadcasting partners. Um, and the, the way it sits, let's face it, it, it's a midfield award. And I can't remember, as I was saying, just about to say before, a year where we've had so many star-started midfielders within a vote of each other. And normally there's a gap and it falls away. But as we saw, you know, Neil wins and all of a sudden I think every vote behind there is someone new or people drawn on the same amount. And I thought it actually added to the count for the first time in a long time. I was a willing participant in watching this guy, watching it work out where it went. Yep. I think um, if Nick Dacos doesn't get injured, then obviously it's probably a pretty straightforward count. He runs away with it quite comfortably. But it was remarkable. But, and you say midfielders, like even well, 04, you were favourite to win. And you know, no, ended up. Half votes of the win. There go. Fifteen <laughs> votes compared to Chris Judd's thirty. I got those questions from my kids last night. Were you the favourite one year? Yeah, yeah, pre-vote favourite. Even wanted to charter me a flight to Melbourne because we we obviously participate in the grand final that later that week. But I was like, there's no way I'm getting on a charter flight. No. Travel by myself with my uh, partner at the time um, and go. How does that work? How's that going to work? I'm like a wanker sitting on the table by myself. And I knew I wasn't going to win it. And then five rounds in, I knew I wasn't going to win it because I'd started the season with a bomb and I think ended up with about six votes. So <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Let that be, hey? Let those memories go. I exactly. think that's the most important thing. But the question of brown people, whether we think the umpires, should we take the votes off the umpires? Well, what, you're going to then go back in retrospective years and go, oh, let's look at coaches' votes or let's look at other areas? For me, that's not possible. No. The award should be understood where it is. It's an umpires voted award. It has a celebrity and all the... And let's face it, the Brownlow has turned into a social media storm, a clickbait storm, a who's dressed, best dressed, worst dressed storm. Uh, the players, if you're not going there to get pissed, it is a long, boring night. If you're not drinking and you're a participant <laughs> like Lockie Neal. I, I felt sorry for Lockie Neal, even though he'd won his second Brownlow when he's playing in a grand final. All he wanted to do is get the hell out of the joint. You know, do you want to sit there and do an bed. interview? Actually, I just want to go to bed because he's going to worry about preparation for the biggest week of his football career. So, um, yeah, it is it is what it is, as it says. If you want to give umpires the stats, well, I thought they'd already had it. I was pretty swear that they'd had it over the journey. Is it going to make it better? Well, no. Maybe it's an independent voting group that you want to do who, who is separate and who is you know, governed by confidentiality to do it. A couple but of members of the media who whose job is to do it full time, maybe do that. I don't know. Don't know the answer, but I just think you've got what it is. You understand what it is. There's celebrity around it. Brownlow Medal's a great award, but let's face it, it's a midfield award. Yeah. Do Do you reckon the umpires buy into a lot of the media hype that go around at the time? Like you saw Tim Taranto as soon as um, Old Kane gave him a whack. Taranto's piled on like three, 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 three in the five weeks following. Yeah, and, and so he should because he had a phenomenal season. And, you know, you look at that, I think that few weeks after, yeah, I think he kicked four goals at 30-odd disposals in a losing game against Port Adelaide. So mm. I, I think he's an absolute star of the comp. But I do agree with you. I do think, like, if you, to be honest, if you, you're a football follower, it takes a few weeks to marinate how good this guy's been. Oh, yeah, he played really well with that person. Oh, yeah, he's played that. Oh, hang on. He's got six or seven great weeks and he's on a great trend. So mm. I think umpires get seduced by that. I think there was always that discussion that um, Dane Swan, did he win in 20... 2011? 11, right? Yeah. But in 2010, he had a far greater season but didn't yeah. get the votes. So... He was from yeah, the judge. Yeah, so... 
Sometimes it takes a while to marinate. It certainly didn't work that way for Zach Butters last night. He was phenomenal. Mm. Uh, Connor Rosie, did he go that well last year? Well, he certainly wasn't as high as he was last night. So, And then there's Warren Francis in his second round of uh, career of, uh, footy, and he's got um, close to, to 20 votes. So, um, And that's just from Port's perspective. But you look at a guy like Bond, he's going, well, I've been dominating this comp since 2016 and earlier. Mm. <laughs> And I still can't get close, quite close enough. And, you know, I think that was the thing for them. Then the dogs fell away. Um, sometimes it's you, you're not really in the running for the three votes just because your team hasn't won, which is another discussion in itself. 100%. And now we move on to this weekend, grand final. But before we get into the actual game and stuff around that, the grand final ticketing problems have been an absolute disaster. Yeah, well, that's the best way to put it. It's been a disgrace for years, to be honest. Yeah. You, know, you, you even you know, look through social media um, on um, Sunday and Monday. Oh, I've been direct debited the six hundred bucks or whatever I've got for my, my tickets, and people aren't getting their tickets. Like, how in the the world can each club only get participating clubs? That is seventeen thousand tickets each. And I saw Craig Kelly, um, the Collingwood CEO, come out and say it's got to be at least twenty. Um, we go back in the history in 2010 grand final between Collingwood Kilter. The best thing about the re, re review on the draw match is that mm. they'll back the next week. And I know that won't ever happen again because we've now put in new laws of extra time. Um, but it's gone from about a 30% crowd fan followed crowd as opposed to 70% corporate. And it was flipped on its head. So 70% of the crowd, the 100,000 people, around about 7,000 people were from club land. And this is a bit I feel sorry for fans because they're the ones that fork out their thousands of dollars for season tickets. They're the ones that pay extra for their finals tickets. And then when their team gets in, they're not guaranteed. And this is the bit that frustrates me. And I'm not even a willing participant of, you know, I'm not aligned to either of the teams. Collingwood, part of my dad played 19 games for him back in the 70s. Um, yeah. you know, and then you talk, look about Brisbane. I just want to see a great game of footy. But if I'm a Collingwood member or a Brisbane Category 1 member, when you say Category 1, you, you pay for the opportunity to get a guaranteed grand final ticket if you mm. get there. So you pay that premium, and more often than not, your team doesn't get there, then that money's just donated to the club. So when Collingwood's number one um, category members are actually guaranteed a ticket, and then some people get a restricted view ticket or at the top of the grandstand and not a premium seat ticket, or some can't even get it, and Category 2s don't even get it, it's just an absolute cluster mess from the AFL, to put it kindly. Um, mm. They say that it's all going to be fixed up and you know people will get their rightful seats. But why isn't a situation where we've got a system that consistently stuffs this up? I just don't get it. You know, why is it a case that all the clubs get a share of grand final tickets and pluck a number so they might get 200 grand final tickets each? Mm. So it's effectively a way of giving clubs extra revenue. So... There is a number, and I'm not sure how many it is. Is it 1,000? Is it 200? Is whatever. So if you're a top-line category um, captain's club or a you know, president's club member at any club, you get two tickets as part of that deal. You might pay 20000 a year through your business to be a sponsor and slash a corporate member and you know go to the president's function every week with the dinners and all that sort of stuff. You get two tickets end of the year. And the way the clubs go get around scalping is they attach a, a, a function so either a club breakfast or a club dinner the night before the game to come along, um, and that's where they can charge their fifteen hundred to two grand a ticket uh, as a, and to get around the scalping law. So this is the bit that frustrates me because I think it's all going to, and I think I'm consistent on the big deal here is 
you, it's always going to come back to the fans and the fans of the economy. And there's so many mm. decisions that don't, uh, it just doesn't make sense. I get there's a corporate aspect. I get that sort of like the Super Bowl's equivalent in Australia, the AFL grand final and the NRL grand final uh, on Sunday. That's all great. But why is it a, a case of our grassroots fans don't at least share 50% of the stadium mm. tickets? Yeah, they're 100%. all corporate packages. They're all they're all that, um, you know, you, there's the big uh, tent city at the back of um, uh, the uh, the AFL has that function that they run out the back and you've got bloody Johnny Diesel playing music and free food and bits and pieces for X amount of ticket. It's a great setup if you go in that September club out the back. But why is it a case that our participants are only getting 17,000? The AFL needs to look at that really quickly. Um, and even if it means the players, I know they've got this bumper new pay deal, um, and we touched on that last week, but maybe if they took a little bit less, and I say that, you know, when you're average, earning 600,000 600, uh, at the end of the next pay deal, and they're 400,000 right now, imagine if you could just take a little bit less so more fans get involved in your economy. Don't think we can always just keep taking them to the well and then on the biggest day, sorry, you have to sit at Victoria Park and watch a big screen as opposed to experience it, even though you've given your, you know, you've gone without stuff in your life to go and see you support your team in uh, rain, hail or shine. Yep, 100%. I think even like my grand final experience, I think you've got standing room, restricted view, everything, still 120 bucks a pop. And that was 16 years ago for 2007. So it was great. Yeah, and that was over pretty early. You, you, you're actually probably fortunate having a restricted view that day. We lost by 119 points. Oh, <laughs> I, I, know some friend, I know some friends who, Port fans who were outside the ground, didn't get a ticket, waited there, and this bloke goes, here, take this ticket and get stuff. We're going to get hammered. So they went and watched three quarters of the game. So the bloke's pretty well checked out that way. But <laughs> yeah. I think the big, the bigger one on, on the end of this too is this is where the big – for me, I'd love to know the direction of where this is going to go because I, I think I've consistently said over the journey, the way people are doing uh, taking in their media is totally different. You know, people are listening mm. out of podcasts. They're probably not new – reading newspapers as much, you know, they want free content, whether it's quick video, buy it. I want to read a thousand words of someone's in-depth thing, unless you really have time. Everyone's time for now. So I'd be interested to see that, you know, the prelim finals attracted 4.9 million views on the Seven Network nationally. And Seven's had an unbelievable year in terms of ratings. We know what happened with the Matildas and the World Cup and the women. Got that for a song, made an absolute fortune. Ratings were through the roof. Now we get to see, and, and, you know, let's face it, those ratings were bigger than State of Origin, NRL, uh, grand final, anything else we've ever seen on TV. Now the AFL is going to say, well, you're going to hope that you're going to want to get over 5 million at least. Um, I, I think the two participating clubs, it really works in the AFL's favour because it was Collingwood Carlton, mate, that was going to be mate, Melbourne massive mm. and nuts. But the fact that now you've brought in, you know, I think the only other option that AFL would really want is the Sydney Swans to be involved in a, in the grand final. Mm. Um because of that, you want that non-AFL slash corporate interest. And whilst it's not Sydney, you're going to get it with Brisbane, with the Brisbane Lions coming in with great form. Um, and I think that's a massive positive because they're arguably taking on one of the biggest, if not the biggest club. You know, look at Richmond Hawthorne, um, Collingwood Carlton. Um, Brisbane are going to play against Collingwood. If you're in Victoria and you don't like Collingwood, you hate Collingwood, you're probably going for Brisbane. I think it's going to create a massive TV audience simply because you've got those two. You've got your big Melbourne club and you've got your your non-football state in terms of not historically a football state. And, and it's interesting too because Brisbane will be crazy. They'll be 
football coming out of their ears. They're also in the NRL. The Broncos in the NRL grand final on the Sunday afternoon or evening. Mm. So against Penrith. So I think it's a perfect storm for the AFL. Um, and I think the TV viewership will certainly um, tune in accordingly, provided it's a really close result. 100%. Another thing that brings in a uh, bit of ratings all over the place, uh, trade period. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer and a few bits of Essendon and Hawthorne going on here. Yeah, well, Ben Mackay looks like he's picked the Bombers over Hawthorne. He's from North Melbourne. Uh, North Melbourne, we'll get to that soon, expecting a first-round pick in compensation. And Massimo uh, D'Ambrosio, if that's how you say his name. Uh, uh, those names just throw me sometimes. It's always fun. Uh, requested trade. <laughs> and he was one of those um, mid-season pickups. Been offered a one-year deal, but he he's wanting to go to Hawthorne. So, you know, the, it's simmering along, and I just think this just trade period is probably not going to be as interesting as previous years because you look at the big pillars. A lot of the big pillars are already sort of, unless we're going to get something come from left field. And let's face it, last year, no one knew Jason Horn Francis was available from North Melbourne, the former number mm. one pick from the previous year. So all of a sudden, that was a five-way club trade and Riola went missing, picks went everywhere, and everyone got compensated. It, it was crazy. So maybe there is some of that, but I suspect with this new salary cap space coming in with 10% mm. cap next year, clubs will have room to, to move. But I suspect that they've already locked away a lot of their key talent and there'll only be a few bits and pieces and, and list spots up for grabs. So it's going to be interesting. Um, the other one too is big reports out of the West. It was Waterman from the Eagles had declined their offer and looked to begin to discussions with clubs, including Fremantle, Essendon, Hawthorne, Adelaide over his AFL future. And, um, he was actually pretty good playing some good footy for the midway mark of the year. I think kicked 11 goals, 11 games as sort of one of their forward options with Jack Darling after a lot of their injuries. But uh, last sort of Saturday, there was pretty much told, his management was told by the Eagles, well, this is your last offer, take it or leave it. They pretty much said, no, no thanks. And all of a sudden by Sunday afternoon, he's agreed a new two-year deal with the trigger for a third year of around 400,000 plus incentives. So for once, a player's held the club's bluff uh, and yeah. realised how much he needs him. And, you know, as we mentioned, he played... Uh, 11 games for 11 goals this year, but including bags of four against GWS and Geelong. But the midway part of the year, you know, didn't end up like it was. He was in hospital for an inflammatory, uh, inflammatory, should I say, bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, colitis, got a colitis. Yeah. So even his dad, former Premiership Eagle, Chris Waterman, that criticised the club, how they handled his medical. So looks like, uh, yeah, the story break that he's leaving, last offer rejected it. All of a sudden, within 24 hours, he signed on a two-year deal with an option for a third. So it looks like it's done pretty well. And the journal probably got all the information right, but it's just made to look like a bit of a fool, which is real unfortunate. Yeah. Just... And sometimes, the P, and I've seen it inside the club, sometimes you know something's going down and all of a sudden, what happened there? Oh, we just decided to change attack because the pressure was bad. Um, also got a little bit of a tickler info for you with Port Adelaide. Um, Ooh, I hello. That, I heard that Travis spoke. Uh, it's in his court, and I know there's a lot of info, but it'll be Port Adelaide or nothing. He's pretty much said that. My understanding yep. is when he said that, there wasn't a an offer on the table. But I suspect that the offer on the table uh, is pretty much no guarantees, which previously has always been the case, but it's a case that, hey, if you want to do this, be on your own merits, go away, prepare well. And as we know, Travis goes to the US um, every year and takes a lot of um, other players and teammates with him last year was Zach Batters and Connor Rosie. Well, that's a good omen because, uh, and I think the year before it might have been Ollie Wines. So um, mm. let's face it, it, it works pretty well. It goes off to the Red Bull Centre. My, my understanding is that um, Porter potentially might use that again. So uh, that would suggest to me that Bokey 
is going to take up the one-year deal. We're expecting a decision either late this week or next week. Um, but if he's got an offer on the table, even if it's AFL minimum, um, he'll still earn 300 it. or whatever grand. He's played, what, 16, 18 years of footy. He wouldn't be short of a dollar. Um, and yeah. his option is he just wants to wants to play on. And if he plays on, I think the guarantee would be no guarantee. You know, if there's a young player playing as well as you are, you might not find yourself on the team and you could be playing Sample. But if you want to take that risk, play on. So I think I'm hearing that that's probably going to be the case more so than not. Yep, and uh, a bloke who's probably desperate to get his chance um, dominated the VFL grand final last week, Sean Manor. Yes, well, this is, this is unbelievable. You know, he played for Werribee. Um, mm. And this is a, you know, they lost to um, the Suns, Gold Coast Suns in the VFL um, grand final. where They won by 19 points. But Manor became just one of the rare players. He won the best on ground medal in the loss. Has this 28 disposals and six goals. Jeez. Playing it from a wing. He had 16 disposals and four goals to half time. Now, if you talk about it, he's 25 years of age. He's been ignored at two different drafts. Don't be surprised if a team gives him a go. And maybe there's two ways of thinking. If he's as good as what it says and that's the next level, could a Port Adelaide, my club, who's got a gap between sort of 23 and 27-year-olds, in terms of the list demographic, could this guy play a role? Because you know he could certainly dominate if he was dropped to the sample. Or are you at a stage where you go, if he's a model professional and he plays his all and gives his all, would he be worth a risk at, say, a North Melbourne who needs some mm. players? You know, yes, they're going to have massive top-end talent. We'll get to that very soon about the AFL's recent handout with draft picks and compensation because of their poor performance over a journey and priority picks, should we say. But could they do with someone like this? Well, like, the answer is yes for me. And what's the risk? You give him one year, you give him AFL minimum, goes into earning probably 20 grand a year playing VFL, maybe a little bit more, to 100,000, 150,000 on the list and play for your life. And you know what? I think sometimes those guys who have that late start, Andrew Thompson comes to to memory for me with St Kilda back in the day. Dominated the VFL, couldn't get a go, and then all of a sudden gets a go and becomes a bloody good player at AFL level. Maybe he's that next guy. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's massive upside. 100%. You see like, players like James Potsiadley who hit the AFL and dominated straight away. So those are sort of things. But you did mention North Melbourne, and this is something else. So the Kangaroos will receive a further three end-of-first-round draft pick compensations from the AFL for basically being pretty bad over the last four years, 17th, 18th, 18th, and 17th, which will make it nine first-round picks in three years and on top of the Ben Mackay compensation to come. Traders, this is, uh, there's been some strong comments. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I think it's, it's debunked. Cool. And I think that ninth, yeah, eight picks will be your first three years. And then I think that's what North's expending, which will tip it to the ninth if they lose Mackay to Essendon, which is all expended because it's a massive deal what we're hearing. But I I actually tuned into AFL 360 last night and I heard two smart people of the game, brutal people, you know, good coaches, superstar coaches. And that was Ross Lyon and um, Chris Scott. And effectively, Chris Scott's quote was like, let the system operate without this blatant manipulation. And you can't disagree with that because no. why is it a case that when you go through it the last 10 years, how many finals has North Melbourne won? Eight. Mm. They played in two prelims under Brad Scott, his brother, many years ago. Mm. They went all in. They went, Remember when they went and recruited really heavily? They 
Um, I think the Western Bulldogs, Sean Higgins left at the time. He went there. I think yeah. um, they even went in for Polek from Port Adelaide. You know, they, they went pretty hard. Nick Dal Santo from St Kilda. They played in two prelims and were probably gone from being a team that fell into the eight to playing deep into finals footy and didn't quite get over the line. But I think they probably overachieved in that journey. But why is it a case that now that this team is going to end up with, say, nine first-round picks, and yes, losing their centre-half back, but he didn't exactly set the world on fire, Mackay, for him this year. But if we look at assistance packages over the journey, the Adelaide Crows were bottom, close to bottom after 2020, three years after playing off in a grand final and probably, you know, were the best team all that year, 2017, apart from Richmond's last little bit where they clipped them in the grand final. But the Crows didn't put their hands out for compensation. Right? They knew that they'd shit the bed. They'd done it themselves. You know, the Suns, they got a heap of compensation picks that they had to trade, but they also got access to North, the Northern Territory Next Generation Academy. Well, isn't that the greatest leg up of all time that the AFL clubs haven't really had much to say about? Remember when we were crap, Port? Yep. My first few media years in media, we were, I was rewarding best players of blokes who tried their hardest because that's how crap we were in terms of off the field financially struggling and on the field struggling, and that affects the other one, no doubt about that. You haven't got money off the field to invest in your program. Your footy's going to struggle. The AFL at that stage were thinking about whether to take the licence off Port. So yeah. North Melbourne, who's been crap, as you say, 17th, 18th, 18th, 17th, the last four years. Right, it wasn't so long ago that everyone goes, oh, you've been crap, they're, you're not competitive. Well, that's partly their own doing. Remember when David Noble came in as senior coach? They cut yep. the crap out of it. They, they flicked mm-hmm. on senior players who could make them more competitive over the journey whilst they, they do it. And, 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 you know, and no one can knock them for trying to create space for the young kids. But there's a reason why Zeeble has played on for longer. There's a reason why Cunnington's played on for longer. You know, they've been very good players, but they've also been warriors and, and good servants. And any team you go through the journey, even when Hawthorne, uh, early days under Alastair Clarkson, Richie Vanderberg was their skipper. He'd replaced um, Shane Crawford. They set a standard where the standards were the minimum because those young guys that were coming through were Franklin, were Rioli, were Roughhead, were Lewis. You know, you know those guys. And all of a sudden, young Hodge as well, that, a couple of years later, they're premiership teams. But don't ever underestimate those professionals that stayed around, did the heavy lifting, played hard and made it competitive and had some senior bodies around young kids. For me, North Melbourne cut it way too skinny and they've got what's worked out. But why is it in a case where we're sitting back and going, oh, yeah, they now deserve nine first-round picks? No. What crap? And I know those picks are end of first-round picks. We'll slip into the second round. Well, mm. What's the fine line? Because father-sons will push it out further and Generation Academies go out further. But, yeah, the, the advantage that the sons are going to get, and as Damien Hardwick says, a new sort of set of toys on Christmas Day, he's real. He looked corny, but he's real. That, that is a genuine genuine option. And, and I have to agree with Chris Scott and, and Lyon. There is a system. Let the system operate. When they're talking about this blatant manipulation, we have a system in place. Hmm. It's very different to soccer, Right. If your team finishes bottom, you get the first pick. Yes, you can trade all around that, right? So the crapper you are, the more you get rewarded. And on the other side too, unlike soccer, right, worldwide soccer, they have a thing called the Bossman Free Transfer. Jack, if you had a four-year deal, your four-year deal's coming out, you've got six months to go. If you haven't been recontracted by your club, you can still keep negotiating with them, but you're open to negotiate to any club in the world with six months to go. And at the end of that year, like in AFL's year, End of October, your contract runs out. You are free to go to any club you want without compensation. We still don't even have that here. So we've got the greatest 
control of governance by the AFL and understand what they do. They don't want the rich to pick apart the poor because that's what professional soccer looks like. You know I mean, you can double someone's wages if you don't have to pay a transfer fee. But talk about restriction of trade. That's exactly what the AFL's got. And there's every means for North Melbourne not to, to shed players. Um, and still they're going to reward them with it. I don't like it one bit. No, and even you mentioned Port, obviously. Like We were amongst the Gold Coast and GWS era. So like, when we finished second bottom, we didn't have to pick six that year. Yeah. That's without yeah, and, look at what, out and look at what happened to Melbourne. Melbourne mm. got Scully into Trengove. Yeah, they were thrown to the wolves. Jack Watts was thrown to the wolves as the number one pick the previous year. Some of those didn't work out. You know, Scully goes on huge money to GWS and turns into a great player. Jack Trengove, the name Skipper, had heaps of foot injuries and problems, so we'll never know how good he was going to be. Um, so yeah, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult situation, but I think that's. We need to take a breath before handing out all these picks. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And you mentioned as well about the senior players. Like you did that toward, like you were there towards the end of your career. Like you had a lot of young, tall forwards coming through. Like that sort of thing that you expect the senior players to do. Yeah, it was part of your job. I remember Brendan Lade. It was effectively an unofficial uh, ruck coach. Dean Brogan was doing that towards the end of your career because you're also transitioning to life after footy, but. How how's a young Travis Boak? You know, what's Travis Boak done? He's mentored the next young players. That's what you do. Mm. You know, I remember I worked with young Westoff and those types of guys to try and help out over the journey. You know, what you can part that wisdom and that idea, because really there wasn't anyone for me when I was a young kid growing out. I was sort of watching Wayne Carey tapes and seeing how he did and watch games live. So mm. if you've got someone that can show you the tricks and fast track you, everyone knows how to do it. It's just been able to do it in, in the crux of a game. And sometimes you can't explain what happens, but when it clicks, it clicks and you're like, wow, all of a sudden I feel confident I can be that player. But we talk about confidence. Geez, the Wallabies are in an absolute world of hurt. Oh, yeah. There's a, they've bombed out of the World Cup group stage for the first time ever. How outrageous is that? Unbelievable. And there's talk that the rugby union fails could see Joseph Suwali, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who signed a mammoth three-year deal worth around five million bucks back in March to defect from the NRL. He may look to back out of the deal. Yeah, and, and it's going to get worse too because how much pressure is Eddie Jones under? Because you know he spent some times coaching in Japan before and they absolutely love him. But this journo uh, ran a story that he had a secret job interview with the Japanese officials before the World Cup. This is the Eddie Jones has only just removed back, come back into the Wallabies in the last six, 12 months. So it's not a great look. Um, and no. even the case of the journos can smell blood. They were going for him and he just refused to answer questions too. So, yeah, we, we you wonder why uh, NRL has overtaken Union as the best uh, um, rugby in terms of uh, TV rights, attendance, the whole lot. The Wallabies are just a debacle. 100% they are. And that's why they're poaching their players. So, yeah. And this is this is a different one. An Ethiopian marathon runner has smashed the women's marathon world record by more than two minutes in Berlin over the weekend. Yeah, um, Ethiopian. She, you go. Sorry. Yeah, but what's interesting, she did an Adidas super shoe worth about 800 bucks. Like, How's that? Eh? It's, it's amazing. The lightest shoe ever. Well, you'd want to be. You'd want to be mm. light, but you'd want some sort of cushioning of you know, those shin splints. Mind you, that the marathon runners aren't 100 kilos trying to run out there, but it's the ultralight Adios Pro Evo 1. It's 138 grams. I've eaten packets of chips that are bigger than that. Um, yeah. With a 
nearly a four centimetre heel, 39 millimetre heel. So I was actually in the Nike store on the weekend. Rhett Biglund's former Crows player owns a Nike store here in Adelaide. And I was looking at some of the runners. Yeah, it, it is almost two inches the heels. It's unbelievable. You know, and this is the Adidas's version. So the new foam midsole with carbon rods. So obviously it's not, they want it to be, um, they want it to be strong too and not too flimsy, but um, Tigist, I think that's how you say the uh, Ethiopian runner's name. So she felt uh, like nothing was on. And talk about performance. Is this illegal, Jack? No, it's not, but it's not. But there there normally are ramifications for, you know, weights (laughs) on boats and uh, certain restrictions on bits and pieces. But, yeah, this is where the world is going in terms of you can make a shoe that's so light that someone, you know, with with almost a four-centimetre heel and is 800 bucks, what are the rest of the people going to be doing? This is just free advertising and talk about business or sport. You have a winner like that, smash a world record. Every every runner in the world wants to break their time, whether it's with a light shoe or not. Well, it's not the only Adidas story this week. Uh, this one's this is bizarre. Adidas yeah. has filed a trademark claim against Liv over a confusingly similar logo. This is absolute crap, Jack. Why? <laughs> because Adidas is taking legal action to block five trademark applications filed with Live Golf, right? So they're claiming that the Saudi Golf League's L logo is too similar to the apparel brand's iconic three-stripe logo. Anyone who's seen the Live logo and you put it up against the Adidas logo, it, this is the longest bow of all time. And maybe it's got to do with Dustin Johnson. Um, ending a 15-year association with Adidas or Adidas ending it with him because he's with Liv. But Adidas has filed a notice of opposition with the US patent and trademark that claims that Liv Golf's logo incorporates three stripes in a manner that is confusingly similar to the Adidas marks in appearance and overall commercial impression. There is no way in the world that this is the case, but this is what happens when it comes to money. And PR. confusing is this. That that is... Utterly bizarre. Honestly, yeah, I don't get it. I don't think they're going to win that, Treaders. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think that's just a marketing exercise, if you ask me. But if we talk about the off-season of moving on Daniel Ricciardo and putting in Oscar Piastri for the first time, well, he got his first podium. And I, I, I have to say, to put in the young Victorian Piastri into the chair or into the seat at McLaren, even though I think word is that cost him about $18 million US million to move Ricciardo out in his final year, um, Piastri's been nothing sort of a sensation. On Wednesday, he re-signed with the team on a bump and you do until the end of 2026. People are likening him to the abilities of Schumacher and Alonso, which, what's Jeez. that? I think that's nine championships between those two. Um, he qualified on the front row of the Grand Prix for the first time in his career, just the fifth Aussie to do so, and on Sunday took first steps uh, onto the podium and finish uh, the first rookie to finish inside the top three in more than six years. So... Talk about a superstar. I know Mark Webber, uh, the former Australian F1 driver, and came very close many years ago to Vettel in winning a championship. I think he's his manager. So not bad start for only uh, 16 races and what would assume to be a massive bumper contract where it probably almost doubled. 100%. No, he's going very well. Um, speaking of folks that are going well in terms of financially, NBA. Uh, Damien Lillard, though, has uh, still not been able to get his move out of Portland. Yeah, he wants to get to Miami. Now Chicago and Toronto are into the mix, so stay tuned on that one. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo 
yeah. has said he wants to be a Milwaukee Buck, but more importantly, I want to be a winner, which is code for I want to stay here, but make the team better around me, please. He says, yeah. I want to win. I have to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, and if there is a better situation for me to win the Larry O'Brien, I'll have to uh, take that better situation. So effectively, he's saying, if you don't front office, if you don't reinforce us and put a championship team around me, I've already won one title, I want to win more. If not, I'll take up my options. But Antetokounmpo is eligible for an extension, which will be a Supermac extension, as they always say, with players of his calibre on September 22nd. So that's just kicked over. Um with Milwaukee in a position to offer him the maximum and that max he can get is a three-year deal, 173 million US. So that's Aussie 270 million um, for the three years, which is quite unbelievable uh, in that point of his career. And he's probably got another 10 years to play. Not bad in the slightest, eh? Uh, Sticking in the US. Cricket in the US is really pushing treaders. What's going on here? Well, we know that they started their own 2020 lineup. Um, there are also the big push for cricket uh, in the US continues with the ICC naming New York City, Miami and Dallas as venues for the upcoming T20 World Cup in 2024. So this tournament's he- um, held in the West Indies. And as we know now, it's also going to include the US, which this is amazing. I think mm. if, there, if there was a frontier that wasn't going to be buying cricket, I was fair to say it was going to be the United States. But mm. let's face it, they've pushed it to be a part of the 2028 LA Olympics. U.S. Major League Cricket Comp has launched after raising 120 million U.S. in funding, and they're going to have games from the ICC World Cup. Then people are going to start to take notice of cricket. Yes, is it going to be versus NFL or NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball? No, but their market is so big with about 300 million people. Then mm. even if you get 10% of that audience, then that is going to be even bigger than what Australia is watching at. So there's some relative comparisons for you, even if it becomes a niche. And as we spoke to on this podcast, um, uh, an expert many months ago, they're effectively saying a lot of the sports are booming out of this world because now for the first time ever, they can bet. They're 20 years behind us, uh, the Australian betting market uh, on mm. sport. So America's now go to the races. Even ESPN started their own betting company um, because they're facing some struggles in terms of balancing the book. So this is where the bits and pieces are going crazy and even deals like this. You know, we know that the WWE is a potentially, it's coming to Perth. I know, this is is your go. Not really my go. It's more your go. What's the latest, Jack? (laughs) Yeah, so confirmed last week the WWE will be hosting its premium live event, Elimination Chamber. So it'll be the first first time down under since their Super Showdown show quite a few years ago. It's pre-COVID. And there's rumours about some stars. The Undertaker, rumoured to be doing the sort of show, so that'll be uh, huge. And The Rock, who's also rumoured to be at next year's WrestleMania um, to be involved with Roman Reigns, could be also at the event, which will be... Kind of nuts. I'm pretty sure there was a cheeky rumor about John Cena as well. So there's stars everywhere. Um, but yeah, very exciting. So I'm going to try and get my tickets for Perth, if I'm honest. <laughs> so you're actually going to go to this? Yeah, I'll 100% go. Oh, mate. God help that yeah. other world. I can't cop it. I used to watch it in the middle of the day, halfway between many years ago playing <laughs> footy between rehab. Uh, sorry, between main session and weights in the afternoon. It was either Oprah, golf. Or WWE, and I watched a bit of WWE, but the fact that they've <laughs> um, they've come together with um, uh, UFC, all the other yeah. sports, it just suggests that UFC. It's you know, so Vince McMahon is in yep. business with Dana White. Yep. Not very yeah. the same, are they? <laughs> uh, <laughs> cage, real cage fighting, as opposed to 
acting fighting. Yeah, yeah. S- scripted cage fighting. You're in <laughs> scripted cage fighting, do you? Oh, there's some cage fighting involved. No, not UFC. I'm talking about the WWE, mate. <laughs> so they'll get into but, the octagon with a couple of chairs, you reckon, and throw some desks over people's heads. Hey, look, I'd pay to watch it. <laughs> I'd pay to watch well, it. Very entertaining. That's what makes the world go round. We're all very, very different. Yep, and I think that's probably the best way to wrap it up, Shredders. Thanks for joining us again. As per usual, like, share, and comment, and um, see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.